teach us a good truth, right? Well, unfortunately, that's what a lot of people believe. But if you look back and you look at the historical content of this, you will find that even Jesus referenced that just as Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the earth. Jesus did not recognize this as a parable. He recognized this as a historical fact and a historical event that took place. And so this morning, I recognize it, and I hope you do too, as something that actually went down. This is something that actually happened to a man named Jonah. Now, if you're like, ah, I don't know about this. Come on, this, a, a man being swallowed. Maybe you're like that professor, like that teacher we talked about in the opening joke that just said, no, nah, that, that's, not, that's not physically impossible. Okay, we can believe in a God who speaks and it becomes, but we can't believe in a God who can make a whale swallow. Come on, somebody. And so, but let me just share with you this story real quick. In February of 1891, the star of the East was whale hunting off the Falkland Islands in the South Atlantic. Now, while pursuing a large sperm whale, one of the two boats was capsized by the whale. The hunters uh, went on to kill the whale, but feared that two of their men had drowned. James Bartley was one of the missing fishermen. The crew mourned their loss, but also had a tremendous task of preparing this giant whale. They worked for over two days preparing, removing blubber from this 80-foot over 70-ton fish. As they hoisted the whale's stomach on deck, to their surprise, they saw movement inside the whale's stomach. James Bartley was indeed the reason for the movement inside the stomach of the whale. Where's that picture? There it is. At this moment, they tell us James Bartley is still inside of that whale. They have no idea. They have no idea that there's a man inside of this whale. So they're taking a picture with their prize. They're taking a picture with their catch. When the stomach was cut open, Bartley was found unconscious but breathing. He was placed in the captain's quarters for over a week, and in a matter of a couple of weeks, he fully recovered and was able to recount the entire experience. Maybe this Jonah thing isn't quite so crazy after all. Come on, somebody. There's actually four events, four documented events where something like this happens, where a large fish has actually swallowed a human being, and the human being has lived to tell about it. Okay? Now, I'm just the opposite. I, as a human being, have swallowed a lot of large fish. (laughs) And they have not lived to tell about it. But the tartar sauce made it great. (laughs) Legend has it, though, as we talk about Jonah. Hebrew legend is this. If you want to look in 1 Kings chapter 17. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Jonah is coming on the coattails of two of the most famous prophets in the Bible. They were the E-prophets. Anyone want to name who they are? That's right, I heard it back there. Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. Okay, so Jonah is coming on the coattails of these two guys. He come in right in after them. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but scholars and in Hebrew, uh, uh, the Hebrew legend is this, is that there's a story in 1 Kings that talks about the widow woman at Zarephath. Y'all remember this story? And the widow woman at Zarephath had a son who had died. And the prophet Elijah came and rose her son from the dead. 
Well, scholars in Hebrew legend tells us that Jonah was that son. Jonah was the guy that Elijah uh, raised from the dead. And when Elijah raised him from the dead, the widow woman at Zarephath, she released Jonah to follow Elijah and Elisha to go to the school of the prophets and to be trained by these great prophets. That's how he became the prophet of Elijah. Interesting, isn't it? Just something to think about as you're enjoying this sermon. You get bored with something, you can start thinking about that, all right? Now, the Jewish people, they recognize this. They recognize the importance of this book of Jonah. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you have ever read through its entirety the book of Jonah? Okay, a few of us, all right. Well, the Jewish people recognize the importance of this little four-chapter book in the Old Testament. This isn't just a kid's story that we learned in Sunday school. Once a year, on what is probably the most important holiday of the Jewish year, which is Yom Kippur, the Jewish people would gather together in the synagogue, and they would recite prayers of confession corporately as opposed to individually. Wouldn't that be awesome if we just got here and recited, uh, we, we went through our confession corporately? <laughs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be neat? <laughs> Linda, come on up and just share with us your sins. Right? right. Carolyn, you, you'll be next. Yeah. How many would be hitting that door before I ever got to you? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be here either. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. Got to go, got to go, got to go right now, right? There's no way. But here, that's what the Jewish people would do. And it's called the Day of Atonement. It's the day to confess any and all sins that you may have committed. And in some sense, it was their last chance to avert judgment from their mistakes of the past year. But during the afternoon service on this day, each and every year, still to this day, the book of Jonah is read in its entirety. And as the passage is read, as the rabbi will get to certain intervals in the book of Jonah, the congregation will respond with, we are Jonah. And I just want to try that this morning. Come on, will you say that with me on count of three? One, two, three. All right, let's, let's do it one more time, one more time. One, two, three. All right, all right, I'm glad you said that. Because we're going to talk about in this book about how we see ourselves in the life of Jonah how we are Jonah, how I am Jonah. And I think it's going to be really, really interesting. And maybe what we talk about, maybe it doesn't describe the season you're in right now, but maybe it describes the season of someone close to you. Or maybe you can relate because it's a season that you have come out of. I hope it's not a season you're about to go into. Maybe it's a season that you've come out of. Or maybe, again, it's someone who's very, very close to you that, 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 that what we talk about will really hit home. And so we're going to look at what people consider to be a kid's story, but the truth is, is the story of Jonah will really speak to all of us, okay? So let's dive into the book of Jonah. No pun intended there, right? Jonah chapter 1. Come on, that was good. That was good. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, And God said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He was a man on the run. Now, let's look at the the meaning behind a few words here. If you're taking notes, Jonah, he's called by many the reluctant prophet. Uh, He was a prophet of God that often did what was right. His name actually means dove. 
Jonah, his name means dove or the peaceful one. Now, Jonah was a rock star amongst the people of Israel. Jonah was a rock star because earlier, God chose to give Jonah a scoop that really skyrocketed his career. You see, the northern kingdom called Israel had steadily given up territory to their enemies, Syria and Assyria. But Jonah, he prophesied, foretelling that God would restore their boundaries. And it happened in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. This prophecy came to pass, and it really propelled Jonah to fame. Everybody loved Jonah, because Jonah was the one that prophesied, hey, all that land that our enemies are getting, God said we're getting it back, right? I can see him doing it with the Pentecostal voice too, right? I can just see him doing it. And so when he said, God said we're getting it back, right? And when it happened, like, everyone was like, Jonah, you're the one that said this. And so they, you know, there was Jonah parties. There was, and, you know, it, it was a good time for Jonah. Jonah was like the Billy Graham of his day. Now, next word in here is this word Amittai. This is the name of his father. And the word Amittai actually means truth. So a great name for a prophet. He was the son of truth. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And Nineveh was Israel's absolute four worst enemy, okay? They really were. It was like Rush Limbaugh versus Hillary Clinton times a thousand, okay? Come on. Israel hated Nineveh, and you'll see why here in just a few moments. But as we start to look at this story, I believe that God may show us through these next four weeks that we all have a little bit of Jonah in us that we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. In fact, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 says this. It said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And this just had to be electric to Jonah. Because remember, the last time he received the word of the Lord, he was skyrocketed to fame, right? And so the word of the Lord comes again to Jonah. Jonah's like, yeah, let's do this. What you got, God? Right? He's excited. He's excited. And then, man, the last time Jonah got the word of the Lord, he picked up 10,000 new followers on Facebook, okay? Things were happening. His hometown named a street after him, all right? Hebrew legend, right? I have no idea. But the good news is, is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And the good news is, is the word of the Lord will come to us today. God is a God who loves to speak. God loves to speak. Whenever God created, how did he create? He spoke and it became. He said, let there be and there was. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then in, in, later on in that chapter, it said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God is a speaking God. God created Adam and Eve because he wanted to love and he wanted to be loved. He wanted to speak. He spoke with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. He is a speaking God. And throughout history, we see God speaking in so many different ways. We see that God... All, sometimes would speak audible. I'll be honest with you. I have never, ever heard God's audible voice. It may freak me out, right? If you're sitting in bed at night and you're praying and someone says, Jared, you know, you may have to change the sheets, (laughs) right? Uh, So I'll be real with you. I'm 36 years old, and I've never heard the audible voice of God. There's a couple times I thought, oh, that, but it's just Jenny. It's just Jenny. Um, (laughs) 
She was tricking me. But God does speak through audible voice. And maybe some of you in here, maybe you've heard that audible voice. God has often spoke through his prophets. He speaks through circumstances. That's a lot of times how he speaks to me, right? You get sick. God speaks. Don't eat that much cheesecake, right? Come on, somebody. Right. God speaks through the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I, I have felt the unction of the Holy Spirit. And then I have felt the, 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 the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart, speaking to my life. So if you've never, ever heard the voice of God, let me tell you something. You can and you will today. Well, how can you guarantee that? Because as you open up the Word of God, the Word of God is Him speaking to us this morning. It's alive. It's active. The Word says of itself. It's alive. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. His Word pierces. It is truth. It is living. And it will transform. His Word will. The Word of the Lord will come to you. And God will speak to some of us a very specific word. That's point number one. The Word of the Lord will come to you. And so it will come to you. And, and some he may speak a very specific word. And his word will be maybe to change something or to move something or to go into a different direction, to be obedient to what he's already told you to do. And in that moment, you have a choice to make. You can do what God wants you to do, and that is be obedient to his word, or you can do what Jonah did and say, <laughs> I don't want none of this, and run. A lot of times we feel like, I'm speaking on behalf of myself, that we know what's best. We know what's best. And this was the context of Jonah. And we see this actually taking place in verse 2 of chapter 1. God says to him, go to the great city of Nineveh, and I want you to preach against it because this wickedness has come up before me. Well, now you might wonder, well, Jonah, he's a prophet. That's what he does. He preaches the word of God. And why don't he just obey this very, very simple assignment? Go tell him that. Well, when you understand the history of Nineveh, the Syrian empire, you might understand a little bit more about why Jonah was like, no, I'm taking the first train back to Georgia, right? You might understand that. Nineveh at this time was the largest city on the planet. They tell us it took three days to walk straight across from one side to the other side of Nineveh. Nineveh was fortified with walls that were 100 feet high, and they were wide enough for three chariots to race on top of the walls. That would be pretty interesting, wouldn't it? You don't want to take too much of a right. <laughs> Come on, somebody. It was a very, very wicked city. In fact, in the book of Nahum, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it describes Nineveh. And the, it was rumored that the Assyrians, uh, now Nineveh was the capital city of, of the Syrian empire. And it was rumored that when the Assyrians would be attacking someone, they were, would be so brutal in the way that they dealt with the captives. Um, they would torture them. And it would just be so destructive that when it was rumored that the Assyrians were coming to attack your town, to attack your village, to attack your city, we actually have historical documents where entire villages or entire cities committed mass suicide because they would rather die like that than die by the hands of the Assyrians. And so entire places, entire cities would commit suicide. That's how feared the Assyrian Empire was. Not only how feared they was, but how hated they were as well. Let me share a little bit more about it. You can read this in history books. What, this is what they would do. They would go in, the Assyrians would, and they would take over a city. And when they took over the city, they would kill all sorts of people. It didn't matter if you were man, woman, boy, girl. 
baby. They would kill all, and what they would do is they would take the surviving women and the surviving girls, and they would rape them. And then after they raped them, they would kill them. And then they would torture some of the kids in front of their parents and make the parents watch this. And then just for sport, after torturing the children, they would kill the children in front of their parents and then turn and kill the parents. They would take some of the husbands as prisoners of war. And these men, they would take outside of the city gates and they would actually skin the men alive. And once they were skinned, they would take them and they would actually bury them in the desert sand up to their head. Now imagine the pain behind that. And then once their head was buried in sand and they could not move, and they, were just, they would take a stake and they would drive a stake through their tongue into the ground where their tongue would remain open. This, now this, is, this, isn't, this, this isn't just in the Bible, this is in history. Okay, this is a historical fact. And so they would drive a stake through their tongue and they would torture them. They would drive that stake through their tongue which would make them go crazy as they were dying of thirst and dying of pain in the middle of the desert. And then to top it all off, they'd make them listen to Britney Spears CDs all night long. Okay, no, that last part's a joke. It's a joke. The rest of that's true. The rest of that's true. You can't start to imagine the pain and the horrific things that these people, that the Assyrians invaded, went through. Then once they were dead, they would behead them. And they would go right outside the city gate and they would build a pyramid with their heads. And that would let all the other surrounding cities and surrounding towns know that the Assyrians had been here and the Assyrians have conquered. And if you get in our way, we're going to do the same thing to you. Okay? Now, when you know that, maybe you have a little bit more mercy for Jonah. When he said, uh... I don't know what you're talking about, Willis, right? Maybe have a little more mercy for him. God said, I want you to do something. And in his mind, Jonah had a legitimate reason why he didn't want to obey God. Maybe you can relate. Asking Jonah to go to Nineveh of that day would be like today asking Billy Graham to go to the capital city of Iran and tell the whole Iranian government, you need to repent and get right with Jesus Christ. I mean, that'd be a pretty scary trip. This is a big request. The word of the Lord will come to us. And we'll hear specifically from God, this is what I should do, this is what I need to do. And in our mind, we may think, okay, God, I understand that's what you want me to do. I understand that's what you're asking me to do. But I don't want to do it. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Perhaps you can relate in so many different ways. Maybe someone has wronged you or someone has hurt you. Or maybe it's been someone that you love. Maybe they hurt someone that you love. And the, the word of God comes to you. And the word of God this morning is, is to forgive and as you have been forgiven. And maybe you're like, no, 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 I, I don't want to do that, God. They, they don't deserve it. God, do you know how they hurt me? Do you know how they hurt the one that I love. God, I don't want to do that. I want nothing to do with that. Maybe you're here this morning, you're dating someone, and he's cute, or she smells really good, you know, and, and, and you, you, you're getting really close to that person, and you get all the, the tingly-wingly feelings, you know what I'm talking about, you know, and then the next time, you know, you guys meet up, and you're doing things that maybe you, you shouldn't be doing, you, and the word of the Lord comes to you, the word of the Lord says, hey, wait, wait, this is, a, this is a gift for marriage, this isn't for dating, this is for marriage, it's best in marriage, and you've got a choice, and a lot of people say, no, 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 I don't want to do that, I'm ready, I'm ready, and God said, no, you're not. I can tell that went over real big. 
maybe the Lord will come to you. And you thought, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to do it. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. How many of you have ever said that? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, God, but not right now. I'll do it later. Give me time to process this, right? Yeah, give me time to pray about it. Give me, give me time to study this thing out. I'll let you know in 2020. Remember this, delayed obedience is disobedience. It's kind of like parenting techniques with your kids. Oh, I love this. This drives me crazy. Don't make me come down there. You don't want to do that. I told you, and now I'm serious. Right? Like the first time you weren't. Right? Come on, somebody. I'm serious now. I'm going to count to three. Good preaching. Thank you. One. Come on. Two. Two and a half. What are we teaching our kids? What are we teaching? My dad didn't know how to count to one. Right? My dad was like, do it. And if I didn't do it, right? The cow jumped over the moon, but Jared flew over the moon. But we're teaching our kids delayed obedience. Imagine they run out in the street. Don't run out in the street. One, two, boom. Right? So we're teaching them delayed obedience. And delayed obedience is disobedience. Disobedience. I like what Pastor Aaron McManus says. He says this. He says that the mark of maturity is what he calls the lag time. You can tell the maturity of a person between the distance of the command of God and the obedience. If the distance and time is short, maturity is there. If the distance and time is long, then we got some things to work on. Jonah said, I don't want to go there. I don't want to have anything to do with those people. Now remember this, thought number two. God will speak to you. The word of the Lord will come to you. And whenever it does, it may tell you something to do that you don't want to do. But whenever God does speak, number two, you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. You can always find a boat so you have an enemy whose role is to ready the ship for disobedience. That's his role. Some of us know what I'm talking about. Come on, if you allow your eyes to wander, there will always be someone who returns your flirtations. Oh, good preaching. Thank you. If you want out of your marriage, there will always be a too-good-to-be-true relationship that will present itself. It's good preaching. Thank you so much. If you tolerate greed, there will always be a way to cheat or steal or get ahead. It's good preaching. Thank you so much. You have an enemy whose role is to ready the ship for your disobedience. That's what he wants to do. Watch how it happens here with Jonah. God says, I want you to preach to the Ninevites. Verse 3, Scripture says this, But Jonah ran away from the Lord, then headed for Tarshish. He then went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish. Why did he sail for Tarshish? Because he wanted to run from God. What did God say? God said, basically, go east to Nineveh. Nineveh was 500 miles from where Jonah was at. Nineveh, if you're looking for a place on the map, it's actually the present-day Mosul, Iraq. How many have heard that name in the news a lot? 
That's Nineveh, okay? That's where Jonah was, Jonah was right outside Jerusalem. And Jonah was supposed to go there 500 miles away. But Jonah said, uh-uh, I'm not going east, I'm going west. And he went 2,500 miles west, okay? 2,500 miles west to what is today, uh, current day Spain. That's where he ended up, Spain. And, and, and that, I don't know about you, that's a lot of running, that's a lot of running. One commentary said it would have taken close to a year to sail from where he was to where he wanted to go. That's a lot of running. But maybe some of us here this morning, either with what we're facing today or what we have come out of, we can relate. Maybe we're sitting beside someone who thinks that we are absolutely on track, but we know in our heart that we're running. We know that we're away from God. The word of the Lord is coming to you today, and here's what you need to do. Here's what you've got to do. And somewhere along the way, either last week or last month or years back, you said, no, 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 God, I know what you want. I know what you're asking, but I don't want to do that right now. And we've been on the run ever since. We've been on the run. And maybe you're not so much on the run as you are drifting. How many know what I'm talking about when I say drifting? Whenever I graduated high school, uh, my aunt and her husband were youth pastors at a church down around Stigler, Oklahoma. And they asked me to go with them on a trip. We went to, and I was trying to remember this morning, is either Biloxi, Mississippi, or Gulf Shores, Alabama? I, I can't remember. One of the two. It was the place where they had um, uh, Dolphin Island right off the coast. And I can't remember which one. How many of you have ever heard of Dolphin Island? Okay, well, this story takes place at Dolphin Island. Now, you take me and my cousin Bo, two rednecks from southeast Oklahoma, right? We've been around cattle and horses and pigs and sheep and goats and chickens. We've ate a lot of chicken, ate a lot of cows, and ate a lot of pigs. And you take us, and you take us to Dolphin Island. And in Dolphin Island was this cool beach where you could swim and you could hang out, and you could look up on the, uh, you know, in the waters, and you could see dolphins every now and then. Well, that's cool. You know, it's cool to see dolphins. And so we're out there, and, and me and Bo, and we're just, you can rent these tubes, and you can rent these floats, and you can rent these things, and you can just get out there and just float, and we're just sitting back. You know, I was a lot skinnier in that day. I didn't have my shirt on, you know, because, you know, today that'd scare the world. But back then, you know, me and Bo, we're just, we're, you know, we're just out there, and we're just enjoying the sun, having a good time. We're laying, you know, just laying down. And then all of a sudden, we heard this sound, and then we look up, and how many know the two southeast Oklahoma boys, a dolphin thingy and a sh shark thingy looks exactly the same. What's that thing called? A do dorse? A fin? Oh, the triangular thing. You know? And so when I look up, Bo's right here, and I'm right here, and we're just out there, and we're just relaxing, and then we hear this, this sound. I'm like, what in the world is that? And we both sit up because we both have heard it, and we look, and not from here to Carolyn is this thing. And all I hear is, dun-dun, 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 right? Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, right? That, that's what I'm hearing in my head, right? I'm not hearing flipper. I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing, you know, jaws. Ah! And so we sit up, and when I sit up, I fall off the raft, right? And he falls off his raft, and we turn around and look. We're about to head back to shore. We have drifted. 
so far out of shore, it's over. That's how the Jared Cloud story ends, right there. Whether this is a shark or a dolphin, it's going to eat me out there, right? And so we just start, we leave our rafts, we leave our stuff, and we're just swimming with everything we can. We finally get back to shore, and we turn around and look where, all, where our stuff is at. We have drifted so far out, it is ridiculous. We had no idea. We just drifted. Didn't have a clue. Maybe that describes our spiritual life this morning. Maybe there's someone here that you're, you're not meaning to, you're not intending to. It's not that you're wanting to rebel or you're wanting to run. But we just get relaxed in life. Come on. And we start drifting. That, that was like the hula that Carolyn was doing earlier today, you know? <laughs> we hadn't realized how far we had drifted. Maybe some of us can relate. Maybe months or years ago, we really were close to God. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We were close, and when you're praying, God was answering your prayers, and God would prompt you to do something or say something, and you, you do it or you say it, then he'd just bloom, he'd bless you, and then you opened up his word because the word was, was a valuable part of your life at that moment, and you'd open up, and every time you open up the word, it's like God was, was speaking to you. Man, there were just some cool things that were happening. And then you'd come to church, and, and this guy in, in this pretty pink shirt would stand up in front of you, right? And he would preach, and he'd be like, hey, that's for me. It's like I'm the only one in the room, just me and the pretty pink man. Come on. God's speaking to me. And maybe that describes how things once were, but then we go through a season where we don't make the house of God a priority, and we don't get in the Word, and we don't pray, and then one day something happens, and we see that fin in life. And we're like, oh my, where am I at? And we realize we've drifted. We've drifted. We're not running. We're just drifting. When we disobey the commands of God, intentionally or even unintentionally, we're drifting. We're separating ourselves, just like Jonah. And the word of the Lord will come to you, and it may not be what you want to hear. And when you run, you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Your third thought is this. When you're on the wrong, doing the wrong thing, number three, you ready? Don't run out of here because it's going to get good at the end, but hang with me. God may send a storm to grab your attention. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a second, Jared. I was with you until we got to the stormy stuff. We're talking about fish fries and all this stuff. I'm, I'm down with that. God may send a storm to grab your attention. Verse 4. Scripture says this, And the Lord sent a great wind. Who sent the great wind? Huh. That'd preach on TV, wouldn't it? And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now this was a ship full of sailors that were transporting cargo. And this was a very, very strong ship. And these sailors, they're starting to think, okay, whose fault is this? What's going on? And they drew straws and did a little lottery thing. I don't know what all they did. But they realized somehow this is Jonah's fault. And they ask him, who are you? What did, where did you come from? What did you do? And verse 9 reveals the answer. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord God of heaven. Do you really, Jonah? Come on, somebody. 
do you really, because at this point in your life, are you really worshiping the Lord? He said, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the land and who made the sea. And this terrified them, and they said, what in the world have you done? We know you're running from God. What's, what's going on? And the storm blows up, and all of a sudden, he starts bringing up the God talk again. Oh, this is good. Come on, somebody. Starts bringing up the God talk again. Mm. We'll skip that part. There's a whole sermon right there. But Jonah finally realizes, this is my fault. This is my fault. And some of us, we've been there. Some of the storms that have happened in my life, some of it was the enemy. Some of it was Jared. Come on. Some of it was my fault. You're going to think, well, what I'm doing, man, my private rebellion, it's not hurting anybody. Don't kid yourself. If it hadn't hurt anybody yet, it will. See, when the storm came, Jonah was about to drown. But remember, in life, no one drowns alone. The storm touched the people around Jonah, touched the lives of all those sailors around him. And the storms will touch the people around us. The storms that I face, the storms that I bring on myself will impact my kids and my wife. They'll, in, they'll impact this church. They'll impact my ability to lead. They'll impact our youth group. It will not just impact me. And it won't just impact you. Jonah finally owns up to it. And in verse 12, he says this, okay, guys, I'm sorry. Pick me up, throw me in the sea, and it'll be calm. This whole storm, it's my fault. And so the sailors... They're going to have mercy on him, and they throw all their cargo. This is their livelihood. This is what they make a living with. This is how they, 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 they trade, and they get resources, and they throw all that overboard to save. Come on, how many of you have ever done that in your life? I, but God, I just want to help. I, I, I want to save them, I wanna, and you get rid of everything. Come on. Oh, this is good. This is good. Throw me into the sea, Jonah says. The sailor's like, no, 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 not yet. Let's try this. They throw everything overboard, and it still doesn't work. The the storm grows even stronger. And finally they say, we've got to throw you. We've got to throw you. The the Bible says they even tried to row, row, row their boat gently back to shore. But that didn't work either. And so finally they decided, we've got to get you off this boat. And they said, God, forgive us. We're sorry. We don't want to do this, Jonah you got to go. Jonah, we're sorry. They throw him overboard, and as soon as they throw him overboard, the Bible says what? The sea goes calm. The sea goes calm. If I'm one of those sailors, I'm a believer at that moment. Right? I'm like, who's your God, and where's his email? How do I get a hold of him? Right? Then something unbelievably bad happens in our human mind something happens to Jonah and if you know the story he gets swallowed by this big fish we always teach it as Jonah and the whale he got swallowed up by the big whale I I think it's a huge catfish that's just my personal opinion the original text says it's just a a fish a big fish but may have been a whale I guarantee you one thing it was nasty inside that whale it was gross it wasn't the Ramada or the Hilton it was nasty inside, and for three days he was there. For three days he was inside that fish. I don't know if I can even eat fish for three days, but he was inside the fish. Thought number four, Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. 
what? Jared, you're just, di- you're just digging deeper here. Well, hang on. Verse 15, 16, 17 tells the story. They throw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Now check this out. But the Lord did what? The Lord provided. Who provided? The Lord. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. The Lord provided the fish. What Jonah would see is his worst possible scenario floating out there in the sea, God provided. And there are some in here who are thinking that God is punishing his disobedient prophet. But you have you considered this fact that he had he not sent the great fish, Jonah would have drowned in the sea. He sent the fish to save his life. Even in the belly of a whale, God's mercy showed up. Woo! Now some of you right now, Oh, we're getting there. We're getting to the closing. It's going to get good right now. You ready? Here we go. We're, we're coming in. Because some of us right now, we may be facing what we consider is going to be a nightmare. Maybe financially. We're like, I just don't know how it's going to get done. I don't know how this is going to work out. And God said, okay, I got your attention. And some of you, you may be facing a relationship that you think it's just couldn't get any worse. And God said, okay, okay, I got your attention. Now, what I'm not going to say is this. I'm not going to say that everything that bad that happens in your life is God causing it in your life. Because I don't believe that at all. But I do believe with everything in me that there are times that God may allow things to come into my life so he can grab my attention. And what if the place you least want to go is the place you most need to be? (laughs) The word of the Lord will come to you. You have a choice, obey or disobey. And when God speaks to you, you can always find a ship sail in the wrong direction. If you do not obey, he may send a storm to grab your attention. If that doesn't get it, he may allow you to face your own big fish. And when he does, understand this, it's because he loves you. Because he has something for you. He has people for you to impact. You've got a choice. You can keep running or you can come back to him. And I have this understanding regarding the storms in my life that I have faced. It wasn't there to pay me back for my sin. It was there to bring me back from my sin. Woo! Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. That's good stuff. It wasn't there to pay me back for my sin. Why? Because Jesus already paid for my sin. Jesus already did it. Jesus went into the storm of God's wrath for you and for I, and he took it all. That means God's wrath is no longer in the storm. What's in the storm? His love, his mercy, his grace. That's what's in the storm. That's what's in the storm. And we think, oh, God, God, he's, he's really getting Jonah. He's really hammering Jonah. No, he's not. He's trying to save him. He's trying to save him. The storm is not designed for your retribution. It is designed for your restoration. Hmm. How many can relate? How many can think back over storms in your life? And you're like, yeah, I brought that on. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, I did that. Whoops, I did it again, right? Yeah. I mean, know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But we've, we've always, we've heard this, taught that the whale had to get Jonah. Jonah was bad, bad, bad. No, Jonah was just like you and me. He was just like, would you have went to Nineveh? 
I don't know if I would have. I'll tell you, I wouldn't have. I would have had a fish story too. Jonah is just like you and me. And the fish and the storm and the sailors and the boat and the sea, it's not God's punishment. It's God's mercy. God's saying, Jonah, I got to get you back. I got to get you back. I can't let you drown in that sea right now. I got to get you back. And so maybe this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with us today. As you do, maybe some of us recognize the fact, one, maybe we're just on a total run. We're running from God. Or two, maybe we're just drifting. We're drifting. But you recognize this morning, God, it's time for me to come back. It's time for me to repent. Your prayer today is, God, renew the joy of my salvation. God, renew this joy. Forgive me. Forgive me for my disobedience and renew the joy of my salvation. I'm coming back to you, God. Whether we are running or whether we are drifting, either way, we're being separated from the God who wants to hold us close. And again, we're not saying that everything that happens in your life is sent by God, because I don't believe that at all. But I do believe there are times I have invited storms into my life, just like Jonah invited this storm into his life. And in that storm, can I be real? Sometimes we get mad. God, where are you? God, why am I going through this? And we fail to recognize and we fail to see that in that storm is not the wrath and punishment of God. It is the grace and mercy of God to bring us back, to take us from our Tarshish and bring us back to our Nineveh. Maybe that's you this morning. You know, Jared, I'm running, or maybe Jared, I've just been drifting. And there's that separation there between me and God. And today, I'm coming back. If that's you, will you slip your hand up on the count of three? One, two, three. Is there anybody anywhere in this place? Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for the power that's in your word. And God, this word that was sent today, let it encourage us. Let it change perspective of maybe some things that we have gone through or things that we are currently going through. God, and let it be a hope. Let it, let, it, let it instill in us a hope 
for those around us. A, a way to minister to them, a way to embrace them, a way to care for them, a way to love them, a way, God, to speak into their life. Father, I pray that we take this word today and we don't throw it overboard. But God, we let it settle. Let it settle into our spirit. Because God, we can use it and we can apply it and we can hold on to it. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray.